0: Church, I was wondering how Stu was going to play the guitar and play the drums at the same time, amen, yeah, but lots of caffeine, there you go, well, I'm glad you're here this morning, I want to invite you this morning to take your Bible, and I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, okay, I hope you brought the Bible with you this morning, and encourage you to take it, you may have one in front of you if you don't uh, have one with you, maybe one in front of you there, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And while you're turning there, let me just share with you that one of our faithful deacons, uh, you may have already heard, maybe not, but Dick Craft went home to be with the Lord Friday. And uh, the visitation will be tomorrow evening at Ashby's from 6 to 8. Service will be Tuesday here at 11 o'clock. And you would be praying for uh, Dick's family, if you would. He uh, faithful brother, faithful uh, deacon. It's good to have faithful deacons, amen? And he was a good one. And all these years, in fact, uh, a lot of what we're sitting in this morning and enjoying was because of him and men like him. And so be praying for Norma if you would, okay? Well, we've been on the subject of leadership over the last several weeks. Uh, Don, I think, preached to us last week. I've been on uh, the subject for a few weeks. And today we kind of want to close out maybe that particular theme, go on to another theme, okay? Okay. Let me tell you what uh, my goal has been. I, I realize that we're in the process of nominating men to uh, be deacons in our church. I had another group of men to be leaders in our church. And, of course, when we went into this series, the, the idea was that we would address some areas of Christian leadership, church leadership, perhaps challenge some men and certainly help you have some direction on who you might nominate. But i got to tell you, uh, there was more to it than just that, okay? I, um, my, my goal was not just to address male leadership in our church, but I wanted to challenge uh, those of you that are entrusted in leadership in, ho- in your home. I, I just believe that our homes need godly lead. Our church needs, of course, godly leaders. Our homes do. Our families do. Our wives cry out for that. And so I have to tell you, there was kind of a, uh, there was a main goal, but there was also a, a secondary goal, and that is to challenge our men or whoever is in place in a leadership role in, in some area of your life to think about what it means to have influence to be a leader of people. Now, this morning, they, the, the title of the message is the character of a leader. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on. Paul is in the very end of his life. This letter, 2 Timothy, was written about 60, A.D. 66, okay? We know Paul probably died soon after. We're not exactly sure when. We know, at least we feel like, he was killed by Nero. Nero burned Rome in A.D. Uh, 64, Probably because of that and the backlash he got from that. He arrested Paul, brought him into prison. Paul knew this was the last go for him. History tells us that Nero died in A.D. 68. If this was written in 66, and Nero killed Paul, and Nero died in 68. So we're looking at the most somewhat of about a a two-year window. And I don't have any doubt that Paul knew that his life was just about over. Paul knew that the the window of his service was drawing to a close, and he wanted to write one last letter. He he wanted to address it to one of his disciples, a a young man by the name of Timothy. Timothy was probably about 40 years of age. I used to think that was old. Now, Now that I'm over 60, I realize 40 is awfully young, you know. And so Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's wanting to get some last words into Timothy. I think 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, uh, some of the most striking verses in all of Paul's writing. I At least it's some of my favorite. He uses in this chapter a lot of different metaphors. We're going to Look at the metaphor of a soldier today. He, 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 Paul does that a lot. A soldier for Christ Jesus. There's some marks that a soldier must have. Paul will also use the illustration of a farmer. He'll use the illustration of an athlete. He'll, he'll use those illustrations to drive home the truth that believers in general, but leaders in particular, must, by their very calling, by the very nature of being a leader, has to live different, must live distinct from all of the world around them. And so let me just tell you in a few words what this sermon is. Okay, Now, don't turn me off and don't leave, okay? But I want to give you the sermon in a nutshell. Here's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy I couldn't do it alone. And so I gave to you what I got. And Timothy, I gave it to you in a sense I'm passing the torch to you because I'm soon to be gone. And Timothy, I'm giving you what I had so that you could carry on the torch of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Timothy, you can't do it alone either. Timothy, you're going to have to draw some men around you. And Timothy, what I've given to you, you're going to have to give to them. Because, Timothy, one day, your life's going to be over as well. Timothy, one day, you're going to be forced to pass the torch on to others who will take what I've given to you and what you have and what they have. They'll have to give it on to others. And they'll have to give it on to others. And Timothy, if we don't do this, then the whole process breaks down. And we begin to encounter division and problems. And the gospel of Jesus Christ begins to be watered down. And Timothy, the church, will become in disarray. And so he writes to Timothy... In verses 1 through 4, he gives Timothy four character traits of a leader. And I want to give them to you this morning. The first thing we're going to talk about is that a leader in God's army, a soldier on active duty, must be strong in his spirit. I want to talk to you about that. Not strong physically, but strong spiritually. And guys, I I, I know I'm going to be addressing some leadership areas. and, And so I'm going to be directing some thoughts to you. Maybe I go overboard on that. I've been told I do. That's okay. When you straighten up, I'll get on the women, okay? But I'm going to drill you today, guys, because a man of God, a God man, oh, he's got to be strong, not with these guns. But in his spirit, okay? Number two, guys, you've got to share what you know. You've got to know some things. But then what you know, you've got to share. And I'm going to share some personal reflections in that. Number three, a character trait of a man of God is that he's always willing to suffer the cause. Anything of worth, anything of value, requires suffering. And we don't like to talk about that in our world. We don't like to think about that in our world today. But I want to tell you that, you young men, what I've learned in my gray-headed years now, that the most worthy thing I can do, the most godly thing that I can do is suffer for my wife, suffer for my kids, suffer for my grandkids, and as a pastor, suffer for my church. All those that are godly shall suffer for the cause. And then number four, we're going to talk about that a man of God must be separate from the world. You can't be a man of God. Listen, you can't be a man of God when you're involved in the things of the world, the philosophies of the world, but also the actions of young men. Listen, you you teenagers, if you get anything out of today, one thing you need to get is you'll never be a God-man. When you've got yourself intertwined in the things of this world, okay. Well, let's stand in honor of God's word. Let's read together. First, uh, excuse me. Second Timothy chapter two, verses one through four. And, and feel the pathos, if you will. Allow yourself to take a little imaginary trip. Paul is in prison, a dark. He's not. This isn't the the outer prison. This is the inner prison. Okay. That the air is dusty and dank. There's very little light. Uh, he probably has, I don't want to gross you out, but probably has rats running over him. And when he eats something, he probably wonders what he's eating. And it's just about over for him. But there's a light. He says, You therefore, my son. That's his light. Okay? You be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Did you catch the movement, the process here? Verse 3, Suffer hardship with me, how? As a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I think... When Paul says that he's talking about that prison, I think he's talking about the meetings, the beatings that he's had, the, the the shipwrecks that he's gone through. And then in verse 4 he says, No soldier in active service entangleth himself or entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. And then here's the purpose statement. For this purpose. That he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. "Father, I, I love your word. I love all of your word. But Father, these four verses just capture my heart. It captures my emotions. And God, it, 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 it makes me, first of all, it makes me realize how short I come up. But God, it makes me want to strive to get to give so the process doesn't break down. And God, I, I pray today that these that are here, there may be some single moms that's forced into the role of being a leader in their home. There may be a grandma or a grandpa here that's been forced into raising their grandchildren. Never thought they would have to fill that role. wasn't meant, designed to do that, but yet because of some circumstance, they are now raising not their kids, but their grandkids. And God, they need to know, they need to be challenged, they need to be encouraged with these words of what it means to be a God-man that passes on generation to generation or it all breaks down. God today maybe there's maybe there's just a young daddy who's overwhelmed by this thing called dad. And he doesn't know what to do, how to do it. God, maybe some of these things we're going to talk about will help him. In the greatest privilege he'll ever have, and that is to be a husband and a daddy. Maybe it's these high school boys wondering what life's going to be like in just a few years when they get outside of mama's, daddy's thumb. And they wonder what direction they're going to go, and they're wondering how they should even go. Maybe today, your Holy Spirit will speak into their life, speak into their heart, that they'll, Lord, uh, uh, agree and, and accept uh, some of these, 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 these characteristics that a God-man, that a leader must have so that the process doesn't break down. God, I surrender myself to you. God, as I share some personal reflections, uh, I, I pray that they'll, they'll be perhaps encouraging for those who struggled like I've struggled in this thing called manhood. I pray in Christ's name today for his glory. Amen. All right. Thanks. Be seated. Let me ask you to keep your Bible open or your iPad open or your smartphone open. And I want you to concentrate with me for a moment in verse 1, okay? Because it's an interesting verse. The first thing that, that Paul tells Timothy is that he has to be strong, but the strength he's talking about has nothing to do with the external or the physical, okay? First of all, I think it's probably encouraging to Timothy because if you read in Scripture about Timothy, he comes across as perhaps somewhat sickly, somewhat frail in some areas. Uh, and so when he hears this from Paul, it's probably some words of encouragement that, that, that he can be a man of God, but he doesn't have to be physically strong uh, like a lot of people say. I, and I like it myself, frankly, because there was a phase I went through. It didn't last long, but there was a phase I went through that I uh, would pump weights, and uh, I hated every minute of it. Uh, Mark Akers made me pump iron, and he'd come by, get me at lunch, and we would go pump iron, and I have to tell you folks, every time I did it, I hurt. It hurt my wrist. It hurt my elbow. It hurt my shoulder, and I used to dread. I used to pray, God, I hope Mark's sick today <laughs> because I, I hated it, and I, one day we were talking. He said, man, don't you just like this, and I said, Mark, I hate it. And he said, well, why do you do it? I said, because of you. I don't know how to say no to you. He said, well, don't do it because of me. I said, good, I'm through. I quit, you know. Well, aren't you glad that Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, he's not talking about guns. He's not talking about six-pack abs. He's talking about that which is inside, the inner man, the part that we give little time to, but that's far more important than the things we spend a lot of time and money on. I love to study church history. I love to read about Martin Luther and John Knox and all those guys that we're so indebted to uh, standing up for the cause of Christ. And, and one of the things I've noticed is all of the giants, it seems like, of the faith that that through the years have carried the torch of the gospel. Every one of those guys seemed to have some kind of physical ailment, stomach, emotions. Charles Spurgeon, the 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 greatest Baptist preacher next to Don that has ever lived, used to suffer from deep bouts of depression. And it was so bad, people, that he would actually have to step out of the pulpit and step out of the, the, the church for, for weeks on end. All of the men of God that I've read about always suffered in some kind of physical weakness, yet they were strong spiritually. Now, now now, now Paul says something here that kind of should challenge us. Notice in verse one he says, be strong in the grace which is Christ Jesus. That's a strange way of putting something. What do you think he means by that? Well, he says the word is present tense, which means to be daily strong, to be continually strong, that it must be a characteristic of your life. And then he says be strong, which tends to be passive, which means it's not something you do for yourself. It's something that's done to you or something that you allow to be done Daily in your life, you see. But the word strong that he uses is a very strong word. It's a word which can be translated stubborn. Which makes me feel better about myself, you know. It's a word which means to be tenacious. In other words, you don't quit. You realize there's value here that it has nothing to do that which which people see's on the external but it's what people might connect to in the internal it's tenacious it's force it's a literally it means inside power so paul in a strange way to me says to timothy be strong in the grace which is Christ Jesus now what does that mean let me let me give you tom's definition that's where i'm going to get a little personal with you okay Here's my de- here's Tom's country boy definition. Strong in grace is the ability to do everything that God calls you to do even if your personality doesn't want to do it. Even if your personality screams, "No, I can't do this." Even if your temperament Wants to run scared. You see, Paul is talking about ability that is beyond your personality. I want to tell you, God's call on your life won't let you hide behind your personality because if you hide behind your personality, you're going to be afraid all the time or you're going to be scared all the time. This means that you're willing to do what you may not want to do because God has other plans for your life. Let me share with you my fear of preaching i i shared i was in a revival this past week and and i shared with that those people how 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 god called me to preach at 35 and how there's an incredible intense fear for me to preach my family knows it i mean on saturday afternoon about four o'clock man i i go into a shutdown mode because I know that in the morning, I've got to come and take God's word and stand before people. Sweet people, good people, people I love, it's just a fear. They know, let the bear alone at Saturday night. Because there's an intense fear. And, and there's a part of me, my personality says, you can't do this. It screams at me, don't you do that. But you know what, folks? Every Sunday, i got to do it. In fact, the week goes, last week Don preached, and, and it, it was kind of a blessing in a way because I, I got to step outside of the study, I got to step outside of the, the pressure, and I thought, oh, this is going to be so nice. But then about Thursday or Friday, you know what began to happen? Why is he preaching? I should be preaching, but I don't like to preach because it's scary to me. But Don's, he shouldn't be up there, I should be up there. You see, I believe strong in the grace of Christ Jesus means that God calls you to do something you wouldn't normally do or something you may not like to do, but you do it because God has called you to do it. And you can't let your personality stop you from doing it. You can not say, I can't teach those boys. I can't teach those girls. I can't work with the youth. Because if God calls you to do it, then God gives you the ability to do it. And this thing, nominating deacons, we're not looking for people who are uh, externally pleasant. I mean, that would help. We're looking for people who has a sense that God has called them into the role of being a deacon at Indian Springs Baptist Church. And you see, when you understand the grace of God that's in you, it means that you're willing to give up and follow God. I want to give you a statement. Um, I don't know, is, go to that next. Yeah. I wrote this down, and I, I, you may not get anything else. Get this. The strength of your life is not what you do, the strength of your life is what others do because of your life, because of you. It's what others do. Through you. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. Timothy, what I got, I'm giving it to you so that you might do it. And I want to tell you, the evaluation of your life is not what you do. It's what other people do after you, because of you, through you, you see. Let me give you an example. You know the story of Gideon. If you're coming on Wednesday night to our ladies' class, our ladies are studying men. Yeah, go figure that, you know. But they're not figuring, they're not studying Stu. They're studying Gideon, okay? Now, I don't know if you know much about the story of Gideon. It's a fascinating study. God called him to go against 135,000 Midianites. Now, Gideon had 32,000 Jews. And he said, Gideon, get your 32. I got 135,000. And I imagine Gideon gulped and said, oh, wow. But then God said, hey, Gideon, guess what? You got too many. And so what Gideon began to do is go through a process, God leading him to strip away the excess. When he got through, you know what his fighting weight was? 300. 300, I think, against 135,000. Now, my math serves me right, and I barely got out of bath. That's one Jew for 450 Midianites. Can you imagine it? I mean, think, about it. back in those days, how they fought is they'd be on a hill, there'd be a valley, and there'd be a hill over there. So you could see your enemy. Now, can you imagine a general coming up to his men and saying, Men, here's the plan. You see the enemy over there? I want each of you to pick out 450 that you're going to kill. Yeah, but that's what they did. And what did they, did they run and hide? No, they began to shout, a sword for the Lord, a sword for Gideon. And they defeated the enemy. What made them do that? Guns? Abs? No. It was a spiritual thing inside of them. Paul tells to me, and I say to you today, you men be strong. In the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Not in your strength. Not in your ability. Not into your intellectual prowess. You'll be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus alone. Number two, look at verse two. The second trait, he has to be a man who shares what he knows. Look at verse two. Things you've heard of me. You have heard from me in the presence of many entrusted to faithful men who will give it away also. Here's what he says. First, got to have it, Paul. I mean, Timothy. Secondly, you got to share it. If you don't have it, you can't give it. If you have it, you can't hold it, folks. That's what he's saying. Now, gang, if you don't have it, then you can't share it. And if you don't have it and you don't share it, then like I said earlier, the whole process begins to break down. That word entrust means to... To set it before. It's actually a word that has to do with uh, setting a table a food. You, you set the table open in front of everybody. That, that's the idea of the word. And so what Paul's telling Timothy is, Timothy, take your life, open up your life, and give your life away to others. Speak into their life. Show them your life. And he wants Timothy to know that if he's not doing it, then he's not being spiritually. He doesn't have the spiritual trait that a God-man should have. Listen, this, this handing the torch is a way of life. It happens. Let me give you an example. I, I, uh, I was named after my grandpa. He was a wonderful guy, man. He was my hero, one of my heroes. And when I was in, I guess, late high school, I know Paul and I were dating, so we weren't married. Um, My grandpa had a stroke, and back in those days, when you had a stroke, kind of going to a coma, you just went home, and you went home to die. That's what you did, and so we put grandpa on his bed, and and every evening, the family would gather together, and uh, we would all sit around, and we'd talk to grandpa, and and we went through that grieving process that everybody goes through, you know, and I'll never forget one evening, my my grandmother, we were all sitting there, and I remember Grandma turning to my daddy and saying, Johnny, Johnny, what are we going to do? And I remember my dad saying, Mama, it'll be okay. Now, I didn't realize it then, I do now. That was a strategic moment in the life of our family. That's the moment that the torch passed from Grandpa to Daddy. That was the moment that my dad realized that he now was the leader of this Williams group, and he took over the reins of leadership. And Daddy led us for years. He led us uh, regularly, faithfully for years. And then about seven or eight years ago, maybe some of you remember that a tornado came through and and uh, snatched my dad and uh, carried him on to glory. Well, we had the service. I had the honor of preaching Daddy's. Service And then after the service, we went out to the gravesite under the tent. And my dad was a military guy, and so the, uh, the service people were there, and they had the American flag on the casket, and, and they, they, they stood at attention. They, they, they folded the, the flag. And because Mama was already gone and because I was the oldest boy, they, 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 they brought the flag to me, and they handed this folded flag to me into my lap And those guys stood at attention, and they saluted me. But, folks, listen, they didn't salute me. They saluted my daddy. They saluted me because my daddy faithfully... All through World War II and after that, for 24 years of his life, my daddy faithfully gave his life to something much more important than himself, and that was to the United States of America. They weren't saluting me. They were saluting my daddy. And it hit me then, just like it must have hit my father years ago. It was at that moment a torch was passed, and it was passed from my dad to me. And let me tell you something, gang. I'm well aware. I don't feel like I'm getting ready to jump on that horse and gallop out of here yet. I don't think I'm fixing to that Well, I may die. That's God's business. I could. I guess I could die from this toothache I got. I don't know. But I'm well aware of the facts. In fact, over these last 10, 15 years, I've been trying to pour into my boy the things my daddy poured into me that his daddy poured into him because I know sooner than rather than later. There's going to come a moment when the torch is going to be passed from Tom to Jeff. And I want him to know the value of being a Williams. More than that, I want him to know the value of being a God-man through the grace of the Lord Jesus and the blood of Christ. I just wish sometimes I had more time to give him instead of having to always go overseas to Macedonia. Pour into him those things that I want him to know. Dads, you have the responsibility. To pour into your kids that which you should have gotten. Because if you don't, it breaks down. That's gang, that's the way it works. You know, if I was a country singer, I'd sing that song, Time Marches On, you know what I'm talking about? I could use the drums. That's the way it works. Time marches on. And if you don't have it and you don't share it, it breaks down, doesn't it, huh? The things you have heard am, am, from me among many witnesses the same entrust out a faithful men, who can teach others also. Number three, quickly let's let's move. Verse three. A god man always suffers for the cause. The word endure literally means to suffer together. What that word means is it, it it's it's hardship together. It's a preposition which means together it means there's got to be more than one in the trench sunday school teachers you have the responsibility to get your students here on sunday to get in the crawl in the trench with you and if you don't have a heart for that or a burn for that or a willingness to try to get them to do it you ought not be a sunday school teacher If I don't have that burn within me to mentor young men and spend my time investing in young men, I don't need to be a pastor of a church, you see. It means to suffer in the trenches together. God's people join in the ranks of suffering because the cause is worth it. Nobody likes to suffer. In this world today here in America, it's painful, it's hard. Nobody likes it. But the Bible says the apostles counted it Joy that they were worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. You see, soldiers know that there's something more important. My daddy knew there was something more important than his life, and that was the cause of freedom. And we ought to know there's something more important than our freedom, and that is the cause of Jesus Christ. Soldiers suffer. I, you know what I? You know what I think I would do? Maybe if I were some of you, you young men. I'd call Al Dennis in our church. I don't know if you know Al. Dick's already gone. I'd call Al Dennis. I'd take him to lunch, and I'd ask Al, Al, what was it like in Korea? What was it like when the ground was frozen and your feet were frozen? What was it like when your socks were frozen? How you only had two pairs and you put one underneath your armpit to kind of keep them halfway warm and dry while you were marching those terrible marches in that frozen tundra on behalf of the freedom of the United States. I, I think I would call Al Dennis and take him to lunch and ask him what it's like for a soldier to suffer, you see. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I know where I am. I know what it's like. In fact, he says, come, suffer with me. God-men always suffer for the cause of Christ. And number four, look at verse four. A god always separated from the world. This may be the most challenging in our uh, easy, prosperous society today. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he can please him. The word entangle means to weave together. My wife likes baskets. You know you know what baskets are? A bunch of straw mixed up, and it's all confusing, right? Well, that's what this word, it's, it means to entangle. It's like a straw basket that's interwoven. And some Christians today are so interwoven with the world and interwoven with the philosophy and the values of the world that they're all confused, and when people look at them, they're confused. They're wondering, is this the way a Christian's really supposed to live? Is this the way a Christian's really supposed to conduct the affairs of their life? You See, we can't interweave ourselves with the world. I want to tell you something, gang. Every time I step out of my calling, I get clipped. It, it, I tried one time to do a social thing, uh, and I thought it would be good. And man, I, I had people calling me. Because, yeah, you know, the thing about it, so you're either on this side or this side. Hey, yeah, man, there's no middle ground. Preachers get clipped pretty heavy. Every time I try to, uh, for the first time in my life, I got a little savings account. And, and I told Paula, I said, man, I'm going to invest this money. We're going to make a ton of money. And she said, Tom, just leave it in the savings account. I said, well, Paula, it's not making anything. She said, yeah, but it's better what you're going to do. I said, no, wait a minute. You don't know that. So I took it and invested it. You know what happened when I invested it? Yeah, stop marking. And she said, hello, Tom, what did I tell you? See? See, preachers are to stay within the circle, the boundary of the gospel. Soldiers don't get involved in the things of this world. They're to disengage themselves from anything that hinders their service if they want to be a good soldier. They have to learn to distinguish between that which is right, that which is wrong, which belongs, what does not belong, if they want to be a good soldier. Why should we do that? Because we ought to want to please our commander who has called us, enlisted us to be a good soldier. What kind of soldier would bring bring disrepute on his commander? And yet you look at the ranks of our military today. And you see our military people getting involved in non-military affairs. And it's hurting their position more than that. It's hurting our nation. General Petraeus might be a great general. He might be a great military man. But I want to tell you he's a disgrace to our nation because he couldn't keep himself clean in the battle for the glory of Jesus Christ. Lieutenant Colonel Jeffrey Kreniski was placed in charge of sexual harassment. Now he's charged for, guess what? For the very thing that he was placed in charge to prevent. What does that do to the ranks? What does that do to the soldier corps? What does that do to the morale of the Navy? This week, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but this week, one of our city guys went and took your money and my money on a trip to Florida and went to a place that a Christian, he calls himself, should never go to. That's my tax money that was spent at a strip joint. And I want to tell you, I'm not very happy about that, you know. What idea do we have to go by the name of Jesus Christ who gave his life and shed his blood and then go and entangle ourselves in the affairs of, of a fallen world, huh? What right do you have to live your life in a way that brings disrepute upon the blood of the very one who gave us all that you might have life eternal? By the way, I want to tell you, we got a guy in our church that didn't go, whose integrity is intact. And I want to tell you, I praise God that I pastor people who don't get themselves caught up in that kind of crud and they keep themselves unspotted in the world the way a christian should and that's probably a rant but i i, I, I won't tell you that ticked me off y'all I ain't right That ain't right you don't do that well anyway why why should we so that we may please our king i want to give you in closing three levels to live okay today you got a choice three levels to live resulting in three different kinds of life you choose you can choose to please yourself but that's a selfish way to live christians don't choose should not choose to please self paul in philippians chapter two was so down that's in his first imprisonment and he said they all seek their own things not the things of christ you can choose to please yourself many today do but it's selfish number two you can choose to please others You can do that. That's been a struggle my whole ministry. I told you I was going to be pretty open. That's been a struggle my whole ministry. Sometimes I run around trying to make people happy. But I want to tell you what I've come to learn. That's a soft way of living. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, If I please men, I can't be a servant of Christ. It's been a battle my whole life, trying to be a people pleaser. But it's a soft life. Then you can choose to live to please the Savior. And that's a spiritual life. In 1 John, he wrote, we are to do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And oh, I want to encourage you, people. And I want to challenge you, if you're blood-bought, if you belong to the king, I want to encourage you to do, choose number three, live to please him. Do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Because the day's going to come on that you're going to have to give the torch to little Johnny or little Susie, and when that day comes, you ought to have the joy of knowing that they saw you do those things that please the master. and so they're going to want to do the things that please the master as well. Well let's pray together, okay? We have some that'll be getting ready for being.